Good morning, everybody. I'm so happy to be here again for episode number two of this brand new series called Changemakers. This is a new project that I wanted to bring to our community, and it's one that is very near and dear to my heart. There are so many fantastic, amazing, inspiring humans all around us. We don't need to look very far. And that is the premise for this Changemaker series is to spotlight those who have, you know, overcome a lot of different challenges in their life that could have taken them the other way. And inside all of us, I do believe that there is that light that's there. It's always been in us, but sometimes life happens and it gets a little covered up. So today's guest is going to share her experience. She's going to take us through some of her journey. And uh, she has a quite an amazing journey. And uh, I think we could make this interview so much longer and even and do it in installments. I think, I think Joan, you could write a book and uh, maybe someday you might. So without too much further ado, today's guest is Joan Doey. Joan, I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, give our viewers a little bit of information on how I even know you. Joan has been one of my great teachers and one of my healers. And this is part of this whole interview series as well as, you know, I myself has got, have gone through a lot of different layers and in my journey, and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. But Joan has been one of those people that I've met along my journey of cleansing myself of false beliefs and getting myself out of the hole. And I've been there many times. So Joan has helped me and she's going to share some of her journey with you. Thank you, Pam. I'm, I'm delighted to have been part of your journey. And, you know, the, I'm so glad you're doing this series because people really need to know that they can make changes in their lives that, that will help them move forward. Sometimes we feel so stuck on a whole lot of levels, be it physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. So it is so important to get the word out there that there are lots of people who have moved forward. So thank you for that. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that book, I think it'll be a, a trilogy to tell you the truth. So I kind love of smirked. it. <laughs> I smirked when you said that I was going to give parts of my journey because I thought, yeah, it'd have to be a whole lot more than 40 minutes. But basically, uh, I grew up in a really violent household in a small community. So back in the 60s, 70s, women in particular who were being abused didn't have a whole lot of options. There was nowhere to go. So my mom ended up staying in a really, really abusive marriage for 27 years. The good news is she finally did get out and she got to have 30 something years peace at the end. But we grew up with this impression that inside people's houses, this is what normal was because you weren't supposed to talk about it. Nowadays, people can talk about it a bit more. And thank goodness we do have uh, social media and we've got the internet where we can learn that this is not normal behavior. And we've got the kids helpline for help uh, for kids and all that. But that was not our reality. I grew up walking on eggshells, probably from the day I was born. And as I went through life, like it was always, how can I help other people? How can I please other people? So I had no boundaries around my own self. Like, you know, the, the teaching was, 
if you took the piece of cake instead of giving it to somebody else that you were selfish and my God, what's wrong with you? And Mm -hmm. if you, if you achieved something, you were too big for your boots and you were a show off and things like that. So it was all those ideas that you had to keep yourself totally enclosed and very small. And I remember I went through a number of years as a teenager because there was a lot of sexual harassment, sexual abuse in the area I grew up in too. I wore beige all the time because I thought it would help me to kind of melt into the background. And I just didn't want to be seen because if you were seen, you were open to abuse. Right. You were drawing attention you were drawing attention to yourself. So not only were you welcoming abuse, you were show off. You thought yeah. a whole lot of yourself, which there's nothing wrong with. So the one message that my mother always gave us was get an education so you can be independent. And it was really drilled into us. Now, other ideas were drilled into us too. Like you can't trust men and this and that and the other thing. So that's been a real challenge too. So fast forward, when I was in university, I went to St. Pierre Miquelon and lived and, and, you know, being thin is really prized in the French culture. So that was my first encounter with really trying to harm myself. I didn't eat for six months. I don't know if I can say I was anorexic. I was borderline anorexic. Right now I weigh 160 pounds and I look pretty good. When I came back from St. Pierre that year, uh, after living there for a whole year, I was 103 pounds. Oh my. And I could see my hip bones, but I still could see fat. So it was self-loathing at its worst, right? Body dysmorphia. Yeah. And I had gotten all this positive feedback. Oh, my God, you know, you've you lost uh, more weight. Oh, you look fabulous. And this was what I was hearing in St. Pierre. So, of course, I was it was only because I was so tired all the time. I went to my doctor mm-hmm. and it was him who said, stop the boss. He, you know, he, at first he thought I must have cancer. That's how bad I looked when I came oh. in. And then he gave me the biggest talking to I've ever had in my life and sort of made me realize that I couldn't do this to myself. Mm-hmm. So that's that was the first inkling that I was worth feeding and sort of went on from there and got my degrees and whatnot and started. Jonah, to if I could just interject there, I, I'm noticing that, you know, sometimes we get so in a frame of mind that we take it on as an identity and yeah. we totally live it, be it. And we don't see anything past that. We're so in it. And it it sometimes takes something on the outside to kind of wake us up or to to shed a little light on something that we didn't quite see. And like you're mentioning, this doctor gave you permission to to love yourself and you're worth this. You're more than that, you know? And also when it comes to like normalizing behavior that we don't really realize it's not healthy, as you were mentioning from your childhood there with these beliefs and these securities that you put in place to protect yourself as a way of surviving versus thriving, that became normal. But because something is common and it's around you, it doesn't mean that it's normal. But when you don't know the difference, it becomes your norm. And it takes a lot to break out of that. And even if you know the difference, it's still like ruts in the road. 
you yeah. slip into them and you know even okay so i i learned if i finally ended up in counseling in the late 80s and i learned that you know i was over pleasing and i remember one time the counselor sent me home and my homework was to say no and but just like, to go to that counseling like what yes. brought you to that that's I'm, huge, especially in the 80s from being in a small well, town that, you know, mental health, it was a lot of shame and hiding versus, oh yeah. you know, yeah. so what yeah. even led you to going to counseling at that point? I was married to somebody and I knew something was really wrong. And I asked him to go to counseling with me and he said, there's nothing wrong with me. You should go to counseling. So I did. Biggest gift he ever gave me because I started to learn that it was okay to go to counseling and I could go and I could learn all these tools to get me out of the depression. Because at times during that marriage in particular, I was suicidal. Like I was just a mess because I thought that everything was my fault because mm -hmm. that was the other thing. You know, I was always trying to make things better. And if it wasn't getting better, it had to be me. Couldn't be somebody else. Right. And maybe, you know, you saw your mother from other conversations that we've had yeah. as being that caretaker and trying to keep everybody pacified and taking the lead and of yeah. course that's how we learn from our yeah. role models bent over backwards so that i didn't get out of that pattern completely though because it takes a lot of effort to get out of it so i did learn to say no and even then it was hard but i was still the teacher who went above and beyond and i was on every committee known to man and i was running marathons because i just thought that i should be doing something like that in 2000, I divorced that husband. And so then I was on my own. I was a single mom and I was doing all this other stuff. And what it comes down to was I was worn to a thread. And when I had a car accident in 2008, it was really minor, but it started multiple chemical sensitivities that I had not had before. So it's, you know, you see these signs that say, please don't wear scent. And some people think it makes somebody's eyes water. Well, believe me, there's a lot more serious. So from one day to the next, if I ran into somebody with deodorant that had synthetic chemicals mm -hmm. or hair product, or somebody gave me a hug and they were wearing perfume, I would go into this full on, full body, what I think now was a, a kind of migraine, but the medical system didn't know how to help me. And I would be in bed for seven or eight days at a time. So looking back, mm -hmm. I think that it's along the same lines of Gabor Maté's book, When the Body Says No. Uh, I couldn't yes. say no to anybody. So the premise of that book is exactly what happened to me. When you wear yourself paper thin, Mm -hmm. and you are not taking care of yourself, your body is going to kick back. Mm -hmm. So that whole incident with the chemical sensitivities, I had to cause me to have to withdraw on a whole lot of levels. So I missed a huge amount of work, but I'd still get up and go in and the kid had hugged me and then I'd be back in bed for seven days. And I couldn't have friends in the house unless they were absolutely sent free. My daughter couldn't have friends in the house unless they were absolutely sent free because, you know, teenagers, X, all that stuff, to go out for a walk. I'd get this smack. It was just like a two by four would hit me in the head. And then would there were about 15 other symptoms involved. And I, I'd have about 15 minutes to get home, get in bed. So I got sent finally to a specialist and I'm going, thank God 
I'm going to see somebody. They're going to have an answer. So I went in, sat down and said, you know, can you help me? And I described what was going on. She said, I can't do a thing for you. Go home and get used to it. Oh, my. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, what? This doesn't compute, right? I was, I ate organic food. I was doing marathons, you know, so I was super fit. And anyway, that was it. So I got up and left her office. And as I was walking out of her office, I walked past a naturopath's office and I stopped and I thought, can't hurt. I have insurance. So I went in and I told them <laughs> what I had just been told. And I said, I can't believe that I can't get better. And they said, you can't. And I said, well, let's get started. So that's what started my journey with natural medicine. And over, you know, a 10 year period, I kept getting the better and better by increments. I'm probably 98% better now, but it taught me that I do have to take care of my body and I do have to stop. And now I have a huge toolkit, which I use with my own clients and I have all these modalities. But especially when I get in stressful situations, mm -hmm. I know that I need to get help from somebody else. I do my daily thing. Mm -hmm. So what I need to keep me on an even keel is I have to meditate. Otherwise, I'm like, like the blue arse fly. I have to eat well. If I eat sugar, I am a mess on the couch. I'm depressed. I'm tired. And I just go to sleep out of it. So I'm not much used to myself or anybody else in that case. I have to stay really well hydrated. I'm a thirsty creature. I have to get out in nature a couple of times a week. And I need to have contact with friends a couple of times a week. And that's my basic toolkit. That's my formula. And everybody's formula is not the same, but there's so many things we can do to help ourselves. But if you don't know it, you don't know it. That's right. That's right. And, that's and we got to always go back to the basics because yeah. getting to where you are now did not happen overnight. No, and it took a long time. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting to listen to you talk because you can tell by listening to it, this is not your first time, you know, sharing your story because you just riddled off at least 25 challenges oh, in, of, <laughs> in of themselves <laughs> that would throw people off. And, and it's, it it's, yeah, yeah. So it's so courageous. It is so courageous that from the time that you were born and all the circumstances and events that you've seen, altercations with your, your parents and maybe your parents and you and how that affected your mental health at that young age, but you still had to get up and go to school, yeah. you know, and then peer pressure, it's everywhere. And then you got married, you know, and how that dynamic was. And, yeah. you know, you had a full-time job, a professional full-time job. And like you mentioned, in the community. So yeah. this is the thing that I, I like to share as well is that, you know, things that happen in our heads and in our body happens to everybody, <laughs> everybody. Well, it's, it's not, chosen it as much as we want to try to do the right thing and get on with our lives and stuff like that we all no matter our background no matter our profession uh, we're all more alike than we think when it comes to really uh, taking a look at ourselves where we've come from where we are and the signals that our body may be giving but maybe we just have numbed them because we yes. didn't validate ourselves or we felt like we have so many obligations maybe we don't have the boundaries put in place to let ourselves rest there are so many lessons to be learned from your story it's yeah. it's incredible 
And for you to be able to speak about it on the level that you're able to speak about it today, it's, it just shows how much work that you've put in, but it also shows it doesn't have to stay that way. You know, we have our ups and downs, but when you love yourself and then you also, it takes a lot of courage to bring yourself to a new way or to even like, I want to figure out, does it have to be this way? There must be something else. I'm going to take it upon myself Mm -hmm. to start doing the digging because, uh, you know, as we've chatted before, changes, they don't just come easy, especially if you're not in a group or a family or an environment or a town that normalizes change and strong independent women or takes shame out of the equation and things like that. It takes a lot of bravery, vulnerability to, to do something, especially, you know, back when you started. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know very many people. Of course, I suppose people don't normally go around and talk about being in counselling either. So who knows? But it was such an eye opener to me that there was somebody who could help. Yeah. And now we've got lots of people around. And the other thing is that counsellor wasn't the be all and end all for me. So Mm -hmm. my first counsellor, she was okay, but I didn't, you know, it was kind of like I wasn't buying into some of the stuff that she was suggesting and then the second counselor I had she was pretty good but she ended up retiring and the the counselor I have now so help me she was made for me because she totally (laughs) gets my way of thinking and you know like I do spiritual work and I do all kinds of woo-woo things that a lot of people will go okay but she gets it so Mm -hmm. if a person goes to a counselor and it doesn't go really well right off the bat they're not the counselor for you probably and it's important to have like a little discovery conversation with a counselor before Mm -hmm. you go in because you know just like I might not be the practitioner for you I might be the practitioner for you to come in and de-stress or get rid of a pain in the neck or whatever but I might not be that's right And I don't have any qualms with, you know, if somebody feels that I'm not the person for them, I don't take personally. That's just the way it is. You got to be kind of on the same wavelength. So it is important for people to realize that the first person you run up against to get help Mm -hmm. may or may not be the person that you need. And they may be the person you need for this amount of time. And then you've got here and for whatever reason you want to change. Or you need somebody who's got a higher skill level or whatever it might be. Yes. And it's a, it's about you. It's not about the practitioner or the counselor or anything else. And if somebody tries to convince you that it is about them, they're definitely the wrong person. <laughs> That's right. I, I do believe that there's such a takeaway from that. Like I mentioned, it takes so much just to bring yourself to asking for help that first time you know, yeah. and yeah. we're worth it. Yes. So if well, you go in there and, you know, you're, you're being vulnerable and you're making, and you got that start, you know, know, and I guess this is a message that can be from both of us that know that you are worth it and yeah. you have to give things time. And just like you said, you know, the first person may not be exactly it, but you know, it's a start. Yes. It's a start and you are worth that journey into continuing and finding that right fit. And someone who was for you five years ago, you know, we're all made of layers. And when one thing heals, maybe we're ready to move on to something, someone else or something else. And so it's thank you for what light you've shed 
Yeah. You know, and then it's like anything, I always advocate for people to to be their own health advocate and not just go by what one person says, you know, use your own discernment, gather up the information and then let it sit and then choose. Sometimes also, we may not get the answer that we want to hear, but maybe it is a bit of tough love. And it's a new way of looking at things. So somewhere along the way, maybe there's something in there that you wouldn't think, but it is contributing. (laughs) 